Welcome to the Happy, Healthy, Strong podcast. Our goal is to educate and empower listeners on their journey to a happier, healthier, and stronger life with a focus on holistic and natural healing. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Thank you for joining us. Now let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Happy, Healthy, Strong podcast. This is Paige uh, here again with my co-host, Dr. Alex. Hello. And the last two weeks, we have covered some different things about the thyroid. We talked a lot in detail about what kinds of problems that might arise. And, and then in our first episode about it, we talked about a lot of the symptoms and signs that you might have a issue with your thyroid. So finally, today, we are going to talk about what you can do about it and how you can identify these things and kind of the hope that there is if you fall into any of those categories with the symptoms. Yeah. Well, thanks for that intro. That <coughs> I'm sure people have, uh, hopefully people haven't been waiting like two weeks. Like, oh man, <laughs> Shelly's struggling here and right. you won't get to <laughs> They've got help before that, yeah. but if not... Or if this is the first time you're listening to this thyroid series, hopefully this will be um, helpful for you and you can go back and listen to the other things. Or um, if you're part of our Facebook community, I did a, a video. The stuff I was explaining last week was a little hard to follow if you weren't, if you couldn't see it. So I did that so that people could kind of see what I was um, explaining and hopefully that visual was helpful for people. So if you haven't um, done that, um, I would go and do that if you're a listener or, or maybe if you're not even part of our Facebook group, go and join that. Because um, I think I'm going to do be doing a lot more of that stuff, just giving people visuals. And I love whiteboards. So drawing <laughs> stuff on the whiteboard and making it easier for people to understand is always good. Yeah. So what do we do about it? You mentioned it. The first thing that if we're going to help people with these kind of three major functional health or functional thyroid problems then we first have to identify that there is a thyroid problem, right? So how I do that is, is by two means. Um, one, I have them fill out a, what's called a metabolic assessment form. And we've talked about this previously in, in a few episodes. Um, there's a section on in the metabolic assessment form that is all about thyroid. So I guess there's two sections. One is to show if there's hypothyroid symptoms, so not enough thyroid function. or And then the second one is hyper, uh, so if it's showing too much thyroid function. So I just go through that list of symptoms and, and there's a, a questionnaire on there that asks, do you have these symptoms? So it's, are you tired and fatigued all the time? Do you have cold hands and feet? Are you constipated? All the symptoms that we talked about in the first episode on the series. And they rate it from zero to three. And if I see a lot of twos and threes, or even if I see every single one of them are at a one, then that kind of is a red flag for me that there is a thyroid problem. One is worse. No, three. one oh. one is just kind of the start of a problem. Three is the oh, worst. Oh, got yep. it. Okay. Yep. So if it's a three, then there's yeah full-blown okay. hypothyroid But stuff even going if on. they're putting ones, you're still, like, concerned. Right, 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 right. Ex if if there was just one, like, if it was just a one on tired and fatigued, then I'm not, that's mm -hmm. not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But if every single one of the symptoms, and I think there's 10 to 12 symptoms under that category, if they're all ones, and that's saying, okay, something is, is going on here. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. So if we've identified the symptoms, and if you remember me talking in a couple of episodes ago about it, um, thyroid is so complicated and it's just tough to find the reason why you're having thyroid, um, if low thyroid function. 
and most of the time it's not the thyroid itself that's the problem it's kind of the thyroid pathways of when you go from the thyroid hormone being made in the thyroid to how you get that thyroid hormone into your cell so that it can turn on genes and thyroid function can happen there's a number of different things that can go wrong and we've talked about the, th the three main um, problems that, that happen with those pathways so if you have these symptoms it's important to basically believe that you have a thyroid problem even if you were to go to your doctor you know normal medical doctor and and they do a couple thyroid tests and say no your thyroid is fine um, that's not I would put more weight on the symptoms that you're having than the blood test that you just got having said that blood work is important to confirm a thyroid problem and when I say confirm a thyroid problem yes confirm that there is a problem but also confirm which particular problem there is so we won't know if it is the conversion problem or the thyroid binding the pro protein binding problem or the uh, pituitary uh, fatigue problem the three problems that we've went through we won't know which one it is or if it's a combination of both of those or all three of those um, unless we test it unless we get blood work done so mm -hmm. th the next step if you've identified the symptoms is to actually um, do what's called a comprehensive thyroid panel. So this is looking at the most important markers to assess thyroid metabolism or thyroid physiology, which is what gets us back to that video that I did or the explanation of normal thyroid metabolism that we did on our last episode. Um, we want to look at all of the, the hormones that um, are either produced by the thyroid. We want to look at whether they're bound to proteins or whether they're not or what's called free from the protein. We want to look at to see if the thyroid hormone is actually being taken up into the cell. Um, and then we want to look at the hormone, the, the main hormone that the brain produces to tell the thyroid to, to turn it on. So I'm just going to list those out again. So on a, a comprehensive thyroid panel, we want to look at something called TSH. So that's thyroid stimulating hormone. That's going to tell us is the brain producing um, a lot of thyroid stimulating hormone. If that's the case, then that can tell us if there is actually overt hypothyroid function. If you have really high TSH, then your thyroid's not working properly. Your thyroid's actually not producing the amount of hormone that's needed for your body to function well. Um, so that can be very easily diagnosed. You could have very low TSH. If you have very low TSH, then the body has um, determined that you have too much thyroid hormone. And then that's when you can get either have the diagnosis of hyperthyroidism or a lot of people when I look at blood work and they have very low TSH that's because they're on medication they're on um, synthetic thyroid hormone so you're taking thyroid hormone from the outside putting it inside your body so the brain's like well I don't need to make any hormone because you're giving me hormone with this in the synthetic form so a lot of people that are on medications TSH is, is very low too but TSH is problematic when it comes to these pathways that we're talking about because TSH can be in the normal range especially in the lab normal range which is a, a very big range um, but even in the functional range if it's in that normal range but we don't know what's happening with T4 which is the main thyroid hormone if you remember the, the body or the thyroid makes T4 and T3 and the majority of it, it makes T4 um, if we don't know what that level's at then we don't know if TSH is actually functioning properly so T4 is the second one that we want to make sure that we, we evaluate, and that's total T4. We want to know how much T4 your, the thyroid is actually making. 
And those two work on an in, in an inverse relationship, meaning if T SH is high, then T total T4 should be low. If, if T4 is high, um, then TSH should be low. It just kind of should go back and forth. So that gets me into already, before we even talk about any of the other markers, that first problem, which is um, the pituit hypopituitary or pituitary fatigue problem. Mm -hmm. If the brain isn't recognizing that you don't have enough T4, in your bloodstream, then it's not going to turn up TSH, right? It's not going to send more TSH to your thyroid. So think if you have like one of those teeter-totter um, visuals in your head. TSH is high, then what's happened on the other side of the teeter-totter is T4 is low, right? And then we inverse that. T4 is high, TSH is low. That's normal function. Well, the pituitary fatigue problem would be if both of them are low. Mm -hmm. TSH is low, um, and therefore, you would think T4 should be high, but it's not. It's still in the lower range. And this could be really low, or it could be kind of low functional range, um, kind of the low end of even normal functional range. But to me, that's saying, okay, your brain isn't doing great at identifying that it needs more T4. And that would be that would tell us, okay, you have this pituitary fatigue problem. So we'll get to how what you do about that in a second, but let me just go through the rest of, of these um, markers. Beyond T4, we want to look at T3. Um, T3 is the, the main um, kind of the active thyroid hormone that gets into your cells. So this is where we get to that conversion problem, right? We might look at TSH and T4 and see that both of those are normal. And then we would think, oh, there's not a thyroid problem. But then if you look at T3 and T3 is really low, then now we've just identified, okay, you have enough T4 and your brain's telling the brain's recognizing that you have enough T4 and it's telling it to make T4 when it needs to, but that T4 is not get converted, not getting converted to T3. So therefore it's never going to, you're not going to have enough active thyroid hormone to actually function normally. So these are, this is probably the biggest one that I see um, because people go to um, their doctor, they get a TSH, they maybe even get a T4, they're both in normal range. So then when I'm asking, hey, have you ever been told that you have a thyroid problem? They're like, oh, yeah, I've had my markers looked at, and they say they don't have anything wrong with my thyroid. And then I'm, I ask, can I see that thyroid panel? And I look at it, and it's only TSH, or it's only TSH and T4. And I'm like, well, maybe we should look at some more to see if there's this conversion problem. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the typical one that, that I'm seeing a lot. It's because they don't look at T3, and, and a lot of people for... Um, various reasons that we'll get to in a second, um, have this conversion problem. The other ones that we'll look at just um, to kind of lay them out is free T4, free T3. So those are just, are they free from that bound protein? And we know that if you have total T3 is kind of in the normal range, total T4 is kind of in the normal range, but you don't have enough of the free type of the hormones, then that's telling us that you have too much of the protein that binds them up and if they're bound up then now you have that protein binding problem and you can't get that thyroid hormone into the actual cell. The other um, marker that we look at to see if that's happening is something called T3 uptake. We'll look to see if you um, have low T3 uptake then that means that you have too much protein binding up the cell and then therefore the T3 can't be free to be taken up into the cell. So that's the, there's some other markers, you know, that are important, but those are the main ones to um, get to identifying these three functional problems. Let's get to those functional problems, though, and what we do about it. So mm -hmm. the first one that I mentioned <coughs> was the pituitary fatigue. Mm -hmm. How we address the pituitary fatigue problem 
is we have to get your body in a state where it's not always telling the pituitary or the pituitary gland is, is not always hearing, I need more hormone, I need more hormone. Because the pituitary doesn't just communicate with the thyroid, it also communicates um, with your adrenal glands. And, it, and when women, it, com- it communicates with the o- ovaries. Mm. And it's always kind of telling those um, particular glands and organs to make hormone. So the problem of why it gets fatigued or why it at least slows down making thyroid hormone is because we are in stressful environments in that stressful environment is always tell, <coughs> excuse me, always telling the pituitary gland to make more cortisol, mm-hmm. kind of the stress hormone, you know, to keep it simple. So that's like the HPA axis versus yeah. the HPT axis. There you go. Yeah. So those two, three things. So the H and the P are the same for both of those, right? The only thing different is that last piece. So if you're always having to talk to the adrenal glands to make more stress hormone, then it's kind of robbing it's it's causing a problem with the hpt axis and and that's going to slow down and not make enough of the the thyroid hormone when it's supposed to Mm -hmm. especially if it gets fatigued because it's always being told make more make more make more Mm -hmm. so really how we fix that pathway right is we're not doing anything necessarily with the thyroid we're addressing can we slow down that communication from pituitary gland to the adrenal gland and how do we do that is we get you out of stressful environments and we put you into more peaceful environments or we work on responding to the stress that's coming coming at you. Um, if we can totally eliminate or minimize the stress, that's always the best. Um, but then the second step is res- how are we responding to it is important to do that work. And then the third thing that we can do is we can actually support your body's ability to adapt to the stress that you have coming at you um, and we do this in the form of what are called adaptogenic herbs so these are things like ashwagandha um, maca root holy basil a lot of the ginsengs if you've ever heard of these type of things before Mm -hmm. you can take those individually you can take them in a blend and really what it does is i always this is a very simplified explanation but if you have if you're producing too much cortisol then it'll kind of regulate that, right? It'll help your body to not produce so much cortisol. If you're not producing enough cortisol, then it'll help your body to produce more. It just kind of allows your body to adapt and produce the right amount of the stress hormone that that you actually need. So the stress that might be causing this, is it usually like emotional stress and the person will know that they feel stressed out? Or could it be like (coughs) just stress within the body that they don't even realize is going on? Yes, that's a great question. So uh, I always um, first go to emotional stress um, because, unfortunately, most people that I'm dealing with, that's I, when I hear kind of their history, that's a lot of things. They've either, you know, been through a bad relationship. They've maybe lost a loved one. They, you know, had um, relational, family relational problems growing up. There's all of this kind of a just emotional stuff. They have work, you know, they're being um, worked too hard, those type of things. So those are, I don't want to say they're definitely not the easiest things to deal with, but they're the easiest to identify and say, hey, we need to try to minimize, you know, this kind of stressful, emotional, stressful environment a little bit. But no, it's not only emotional. It can be physical. It can be um, maybe you're, you are working out too hard in the gym. Maybe you're, you're doing too much in the gym. You're um, overstressing the body in that way. It could be blood sugar dysregulation. So through your diet, 
if you're eating a lot of high carbohydrate foods and low protein foods, low fat foods, and you're eating, um, you're kind of grazing all day long, your blood sugar is just going, it's, it's spiking and then it goes too low, and then it spikes and it goes too low. And that's just blood sugar dysregulation. It's highly stressful to the body. It could be anemia. Um, you could be, you don't have enough oxygen in your, in your cells because you're anemic. Um, that's stress. So the body recognizes that as a stress. It could be chemicals. You could have biotoxins like mold, um, fungus, bacterial infections. All of those things are highly stressful. Um, or you could just not be nourishing your body well and have a lot, bunch of deficiencies in the nutrients that your body needs. And your body's going to recognize that as, as stress as well. So yeah, physical, chemical, emotional, those are all um, stressful environments. So we're trying to minimize all of those things. Um, but most of the time when, when I've identified that there's a pituitary fatigue problem, minimizing those things are what is needed long-term, but the short-term, the adaptogens are really powerful at just helping you kind of in acutely to respond better, lower the cortisol levels if needed, higher the cortisol le levels if needed. And if we can fix that problem, then now the brain can start to communicate with the thyroid better, and that's what kind of indirectly takes care of this pituitary fatigue problem with the, mm -hmm. with the thyroid. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So then the second problem that we mentioned was the, the over under-conversion problem, so you're not converting enough T4 to T3. And the two things that I mentioned um, that do that is if there's inflammation in the body and then also stress does that as well. Um, so we've kind of already talked about the stress and what we do there. So let's just talk about inflammation. First thing that we do with inflammation, instead of going to something that's super anti-inflammatory, um, especially in like a, a pharmaceutical form of taking ibuprofen or steroids or something like that, sometimes that's necessary if some, somebody's significantly um, inflamed. But we always want to start with, okay, what's in your environment that's inflaming you? And a lot of times it's the same things that we just talked about, right? What's in your environment that's stressful for you? Well, that's the same thing that creates inflammation in your body. But I'm typically always starting with diet um, when it comes to inflammation. So we're just going to go on a general anti-inflammatory diet. Right? We're going to cut out processed foods. We're going to cut out sugar in people's diets. We're going to get rid of the bad oils, industrial seed oils, um, and then we're going to identify, okay, is gluten inflammatory for you? Is dairy inflammatory for you? Um, those are kind of the two main things that we go to. So we kind of go on somewhat of a, an elimination diet or anti-inflammatory diet. We're going to try that for about 30 days or so and then hopefully get really, really de-inflamed and then add back in foods, um, real foods, to see if we can, um, if they are inflammatory for us. You know, just kind of get to feeling really good, add some foods and it might be inflammatory, check how you feel, how you do, and then we'll be able to identify if those are, those are inflammatory. So we're trying to decrease inflammation through the diet. We also want to be moving our body. Um, being sedentary is also inflammatory. Uh, we want to make sure that we're sleeping well. Uh, if we're not, then our bodies are going to be inflamed. And then we want to look at toxins, right? We want to minimize toxins, try to make some lateral shifts with the toxins that we're putting in our body, whether that's personal care products or cleaning products. Um, if we're in a toxic environment, we're exposed to stuff at our work. We want to try to minimize those things and get, bring that, bring that inflammation down. But similar to the adaptogens, that's all that stuff I just talked about are kind of long-term things that we need to do to bring inflammation down to help people in the short term to kind of support this, to relieve the suffering part would be things like turmeric, um, or curcuminoids. Those are really anti-inflammatory. Resveratrol is really anti-inflammatory. High dose omega-3 fatty acids is really anti-inflammatory. Um, 
vitamin D can be anti-inflammatory. Uh, there's a bunch of different things that we can use to just kind of have to identify, okay, what is actually inflaming you? Um, because there's different types of inflammation and we want to address those. Typically, I'm using all of those things if, if needed, though. If we can get the inflammation under control, if we can get people out of the stressful environment, then they can start converting a lot better. So I actually have a uh, client that I'm working with now, just did his blood work um, a couple days ago, talked to him about it yesterday. He's super inflamed right now. He has an autoimmunity that he's that sometimes he just gets general inflammation and autoimmune inflammation and he's just in one of those bad spots right now as far as what's going on with his body. And we also looked at his thyroid and he's got a significant conversion problem right now. But with him, I know, okay, you more than likely don't always have this thyroid issue. You're just really inflamed. So your body's not converting. So instead of giving him necessarily something specific to the conversion problem, we're just trying to really bring down inflammation. And that's what's going to get his conversion problem um, taken care of. Mm -hmm. There is something that I'd use a product specifically that's, um, so it's called Thyro CNV. It's specific to the, th to the conversion problem, just has a bunch of um, what are called cofactors like B vitamins and, and amino acids to help the body with this conversion um, that I'll use with people if I feel like this is a significant problem. How long do you think with someone who has like this inflammation from them changing their diet and making and like introducing all of these supplements and stuff that you're talking about to like actually starting to feel better? Yeah, well, if the problem is inflammation, if people do stuff for a week, they usually feel radically different. Wow. You know, if they just get rid of things that are inflaming them, mm -hmm. they usually feel, uh, you know, a lot better. If somebody has um, a significant inflammatory problem or like an autoimmunity, then it's going to it's gonna take some, a, lot, a lot of time. Sure. Because unfortunately with them, they, they could just get triggered by so many things mm -hmm. and they can be really de-inflamed and then one thing can really inflame them. So think the gluten... And again, I, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do about Hashimoto's um, because it's important and we need to talk about it, but I've tried to keep it out of this particular series. But Hashimoto's is, a, is an autoimmune thyroid problem. And what happens typically with that is your body has recognized your thyroid as, well, something in your thyroid, to not get too specific, as foreign and it attacks it. And that's what causes the thyroid issues. Well... It, when it attacks the thyroid, typically why it does that is because the immune system has been activated by something you've put in your body that it recognizes as foreign also, and that something is gluten. So every time somebody with Hashimoto's eats gluten, the, the antibodies that is produced against gluten or the part of your immune system is upregulated, it attacks the gluten because it thinks it's a bacteria or virus or something. Well, it's also going to start to attack your thyroid. And that getting rid of basically calming that down can take six months. Mm, yeah. So if I eat one thing of gluten and I turn my antibodies on, it takes six months typically for those antibodies to go down and, and people to not have the experience. And they might not be super symptomatic yeah. depending on how much activity there is, but that whole time the antibodies are looking for foreign things and it's always going to see your thyroid as foreign and start attacking it. Wow. So that's why it's significantly important for people like that to mm -hmm. not think, oh, I can have it occasionally type thing. It's mm. they got to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Yep. Last one is the binding problem. So this one's a little tougher. Um, I should say a lot tougher. Typically why this happens is, is because of, um, as we mentioned last time, other hormones and specifically estrogen. So es if somebody's estrogen dominant, they have 
<clears throat> excuse me, too much estrogen compared to progesterone or just estrogen excess, um, even if progesterone's high and you have too much estrogen. When you have a lot of estrogen in the body or if your body's not metabolizing it or detoxing it, um, you're going to have a lot of the, the protein that binds estrogen in the bloodstream. And when that happens, other protein binding um, also increases. So thyroid binding globulin, which is the protein that binds pr thyroid hormone, also increases when you have high estrogen levels. So for this th protein binding problem to happen, typically it's similar to the pituitary fatigue. It's not really a thyroid pathway problem. It's, you know, the sex hormone problem of too much estrogen. So what do we do there? Well, we have to try to lower estrogen levels. I usually am not seeing this problem unless somebody's been on birth control or some type of synthetic estrogen. So what do we do there? <laughs> We ask the them to consider toxins, yeah. get, getting rid of the, the birth control. Mm -hmm. um, and if they have, which is a lot of times, you know, women that come to see me have already identified that and they've gotten off that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that big of a problem to get them off of it, but that still has lasting effects. You know, so what we got to try to focus on is the other areas that might increase estrogen. So we're looking at diet because there's things called phytoestrogens like soy is a phytoestrogen. We're trying to minimize those things to get estrogen levels down. There's chemicals, you know, plastics are what are called a xenoestrogen. It mimics estrogen in the body. So we're trying to minimize that. There's a lot of xenoestrogens and makeups. And, mm -hmm. you know, so this is kind of that to whole toxicity part of getting rid of um, things that are toxic for your body. So we're trying to minimize that. Anything that can create high estrogen levels. We're trying to balance out their um, estrogen levels throughout their um, cycle. So we're going to try to bring up progesterone levels um, throughout that. So something good at that is called Chase Tree Berry or Vitex is a product that helps um, the body produce progesterone. Um, so there's a lot of other things there that, you know, we, we don't need to get into, but if that's the problem, there's definitely some things that, that we can do. And then we're trying to work on estrogen metabolism. So you, if you have too much estrogen, it's important that your body is able to process that and get rid of it. So we want to make sure that their liver is healthy. So we're supporting liver detox with, you know, specifically B vitamins, things like magnesium, a lot of amino, amino acids. Um, glutathione is something we've mentioned on the podcast before. That's a, a um, most important antioxidant that we have in our body. That's important for this, um, for the liver to be functioning well. Um, and then we want to support phase two, um, specifically something called methylation, which is a big um B vitamin thing. Um, these things are important. Phase one, phase two detox is important and able to get rid of the excess estrogen that you have. Because think about if you've, if you've had uh, been on birth control, now you have high levels of estrogen, but your liver's not able to process them and detox um, these hormones, then now they're just going to stay in the body. If they stay in the body, the body keeps those protein bind, um, the protein bound to the thyroid too much and now you're not going to be able to get into your cell. Mm -hmm. So again, not really a thyroid problem. We don't have to do much with the thyroid. We have to address this estrogen excess problem, get that down, get you out of the estrogen dominance and uh, then that lowers the binding protein amount and then you'll have this problem taken care of. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> so overall, to summarize, it's really important to pay attention to symptoms like you were talking about in the beginning because that can, there's so many different things that the thyroid affects that that is a really telling thing to if you need to do the further testing or not. Mm -hmm. And then there's specific different protocols 
both long-term and short-term for each of the three problems um, to kind of work on healing. Yeah, absolutely. There's specific protocols, but all three of them, you have to have a healthy lifestyle. Right? Yeah. You have, to, you have to be anti-inflammatory with your diet. You have to be moving. You have to sleep well. You have to you know, not be in Low stressful stress. environments mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. You have to look at toxins, right? Yes. So it's key, um, no matter what the, the actual functional problem is, is you have to have those. You can't just for sure take a medication and you can't even just take a, a supplement to to deal with it. You have to get the, the lifestyle under control. Right, right. Yeah, you've probably heard us say that before if you've listened to this That's all we podcast. got. That's, all our, that's our only tool, <laughs> lifestyle. It works. Yes. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you found this helpful or know of someone who might find this help- helpful, please share this with them. And go ahead and rate and review our podcast on your podcast player. And we will talk to you next time.